Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, it is going great. Uh, 3-0 and in the Summer League, uh, a solid free agency for the Kings, a nice draft. So um, I think the vibe of this podcast will be positive tonight, so I'm excited to get to it. You have no idea how I'm going to bring you guys down. No, no. Uh, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you here today. How's it going? Well, pretty good, you know, just like Tony, man, just uh, summer league uh, domination. Uh, <laughs> and of course, we know that ain't worth much, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's what we got right now. <laughs> Well, it's been two weeks and a little change, uh, and uh, the draft has come to, pre- to uh, come to pass. Free agency has been open, and the, the Kings are playing summer league games as we speak. So uh, I wanted to start off with the draft because we got a lot to talk about today, and uh, most of it is positive, as Tony and Jerry said. Um, so let's 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 talk draft. It turns out the dinner with De'Aaron Fox and Domas Sabonis wasn't a smokescreen at all, and both Tony and Jerry called it this season on who the Kings would ultimately end up with. That player, of course, being Keegan Murray, 6'8 forward out of Iowa. Uh, guys, after all the talk, uh, there were no swaps, no last-minute overtures from teams desperate to climb up the draft boards for Jaden Ivey. The Kings' turn arrived, and they simply just picked their guy. Now that it's all said and done, uh, what do you think of the pick and the lack of fireworks after a bit of buildup from the national media? Well, I, I, I like the pick. I think he's, uh, you know, is he going to be the very best pick? I, I don't know that. Uh, it looks like he's a sure player, uh, you know, like some other people really preferred somebody else that's always the case and uh but i think kagan's probably going to be a really good player for a long time and so on that basis we'll see if uh you know if he's ready i, I like i say i like to i really respect uh, jay billis of of all the so-called analyst type people because he really understands the college game and follows it and and you know, I, I listened to him on Scott Van Pelt after the draft, and he, and he made the statement. He said, I think Keegan Murray's the most NBA ready of anybody in this draft. And uh, that counts for something in my book. And, and certainly the first three games in the summer league certainly would indicate that he's got an NBA game. So there's that. That doesn't mean any more than that right now. It means he, he's proven he can play at a pretty high level in the summer league. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we didn't record a podcast right after the draft because I probably would have been a little bit more negative because I did, you know, I'm not going to shy or hide from the fact that I, I prefer Jaden Ivey there. But considering, you know, how good Keegan has looked, how good I expect him to be, the moves Monty McNair made around him to fill the spot that would have been, I guess, Jaden Ivey's spot if they had picked him fourth overall. Um, there are a lot of things that have happened since the draft that make this make even more sense than it did on draft night, I think. Um, and I like Keegan Murray. He's, he's done everything, you know, you can only, I'm sure we'll talk about summer league a little bit more, but, um, yes, it's like kind of garbage competition and you don't want to put too much stock into it, but you can only, uh, handle well, like the path that's put in front of you. And for what Keegan Murray has had to deal with so far, 
he's kind of acing the tests again, they're, they're minor tests, but he's doing everything you, you want to see him do at this stage. So um, it certainly looks like a good, a good selection from here. Now the Kings uh, swapped their second rounders, this draft, uh, the 37th pick uh, went to uh, the Mavericks for two future first round or future first or future second rounders, apologies. Um, and uh, they, they swapped uh, the number uh, 49 pick for the draft rights to uh, uh, Sasha Vezinkov, a 26 year old, six, nine lefty forward, all Euro, uh, all Euro league first teamer uh, following the draft. The Kings immediately signed Keon Ellis as well, a six, five shooting guard from Alabama. Who's known as a lockdown defender. What do you guys think of the Kings trading those picks and of the haul they seem to, to still get back at the end of draft night, regardless? Well, I, I kind of like the uh, taking the shot at Vizenkov. Uh, I mean, you know, he's got a pretty good pedigree and we'll see, you know, what he can do if he comes over and all that. But, I mean, that's many things to be determined, but certainly, uh, his, his uh, background and what he has done at a, with professional basketball players would indicate he's worth that level of pick. Uh, I was disappointed that they traded away the 37th. You know, I would have liked to, to, to have seen him uh, draft that same player myself, even though I know he played, I watched him in a G League one game. I thought he played poorly, but, but I, I'd watched him in a high school All-America all game type thing and really uh, impressed with his you know, ceiling, as they say, you know, <laughs> his ceiling may be the floor. I don't know, but, but I mean, I, yeah. I, there's a, he, he's got some really special athleticism and he's one of those guys that's looking for a game to match. And, and it's one of those, if he ever gets it, you'd have something. If he doesn't, that's why at 37, I, that's kind of where you like to take those guys. Yeah. Tony, what about you? Yeah, I'm in a good mood tonight. If I was more cynical feeling, I'd, I'd be like maybe grumbly that the Kings sold more second round picks because that's ultimately what they did. You know, they just got cash considerations for second round picks. Yes, they got the rights to, to Sasha as well. And if he comes over, great. I hope he does. Um, his track record is is solid. And there are guys, I mean, I, I like the EuroLeague a lot. I watch it when the Kings have a player who's kind of in the mix, like in the Bogdanovich era. I, I liked watching those games. Those players are good. The top players there can absolutely play in an NBA rotation. So if Sasha comes over and is pretty good off the bench for the Kings, I won't be shocked at all. And Keon Ellis, um, I'm not going to pretend like I was some huge fan of his before the draft, but he's looked great in summer league too, in that um, you can tell that his defense is NBA ready. We'll see if he can play offense or shoot well enough, I guess is the real concern. If he can shoot well enough, to, to stay on the court, the defense seems there already. And the Kings did commit to him, you know, a little bit further than just signing an undrafted guy. They use a two-way contract on him. So they see something in him. And it's uh, if you watch, again, just going based on, based on Summer League, you can see why. There were some defensive plays he made that were really impressive that, that makes you believe that if he can just shoot well enough to stay on the floor, that's an NBA player there too. So you know, we've, we've fallen for second round picks and two way guys before. I don't want to, you know, I don't I hope this isn't, you know, Robert Woodard 2.0 or a Jemias Ramsey 2.0, but Keon Ellis again, for, for the tests that he's had in front of him so far. Um, I thought he's looked really good. Jerry is, is a move like a uh, Sasha Vezinkoff. Is that, is that just a swing at the fence or is that one of those things that it's a little bit more tactical in the sense that you've, you can scout from the Euro league a little bit, you know, this guy's good enough to play. You just need his rights more than anything and a team willing to give him up. Yeah, I think you hit on it, and I think really following uh, kind of how Monty does things, you know, there's not a lot of fence swinging. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's looking for that fastball down the middle where he can 
rip, rip, rip a single dissenter, <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it's as a, you know, just for what it seems like a pretty darn good player that probably can play in the NBA if and when he comes over to some level and they got him for, for not much. So uh, not, not much risk. I'd say almost no risk on that. You know, I mean, it's a, I, I don't know. You know, I just, like Tony had said earlier, I, I'm convinced now, you know, the top levels of Europe being is way better than a college game now. That's what's changed in the last two decades or so as evidenced by the all-star teams and MVPs and stuff. Uh, but uh, so, so I like that. And, uh, and I'll, I'll go along with uh, Tony or uh, Ellis, Keon Ellis. I really like him. I, I, he really reminded me of a guy I drafted years ago and some fans, older fans would remember Randy Brown because Randy mm -hmm. could guard you. I mean, he was great defensively <laughs> and uh, probably as good as Davion, if not better. Uh, but he had that same ability, like we saw Ellis do, just steal a ball in the air. You know, yeah. guy trying to pass. I mean, Randy could do that. And that's why he stayed in the league 10 years and played for some champions with uh, the Bulls and all that. But, uh, yeah, I think this – I'd be surprised if he doesn't find a, a spot in the NBA at some point. You know, I mean, that, that, so I, I like him a lot. And, you know, and Nemias, I mean, he's gotten better. Uh, you know, there's there's a reason to spend time with him. There's a reason. Don't know if it's going to pay off to what level, but the, uh, you know, shoot, don't 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 be hasty. Give, give that guy a little more time. Is there any grade that you guys would give the Kings in the full general breadth of of the NBA draft night? Is this is this an A plus draft for you guys? Is this something that you you came away from? you know, it was a C the night of that eventually grew to a B or how, how do you guys see this draft? Obviously, obviously we're a couple of weeks removed from the draft and this will be viewed differently two months from now, two years from now, but do you guys have a draft or, or a grade that you'd give uh, uh, Monty McNair just in terms of the draft and, and what he did removing the context of free agency and everything else to come? That's well, a tough one for me. I, I mean, it's hard to give him a, you know, an A plus for taking a guy at four, that, uh, you know, and I mean, it really came down to a couple of guys and he took one of them. So uh, yeah. now the key will be if it's the right one, uh, you know, and so, so it's, so I, I can't, you know, it's not like taking Halliburton at 12, but even, you know, that, that sort of thing, getting really a top player uh, late later in the draft. But uh, so that, and like I say, not uh, keeping the 37th pick would, would, probably drop my idea of the draft a little bit. Uh, but then uh, Sasha getting him pulls it back up. So I, I guess it, you know, I mean, everybody's too quick to give A's and F's and all that. But I mean, you know, with the, with grading and the college level, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, certainly a, a good solid B plus, I'd say, you know, <laughs> great inflation is probably a, a lot with draft inflation, maybe. Yeah, I, I think I don't want to give a different grade than we wrote in our post-draft grade uh, oh, piece. Okay. I don't even remember what I said there. So I'm just going to say that the I think I probably gave him a C plus or, or a B, B minus, something in that range, because he didn't really do anything beyond take his picks and then sell the second round pick. So it's like there wasn't a whole lot of movement or or maneuvering to say, oh, he really nailed it. We're going to have to wait and see. And I think I was I was more down on the draft before free agency started. And then once you saw the, the complete off season picture sort of come together, 
I started to feel a lot better about Monty McNair in general. Just the, the moves he made to follow up what I thought at the time was kind of like a, I don't know if lackluster is the right word, but a, a boring sort of, you know, you made your pick and didn't really do anything else type of draft um, it, it, where I was maybe a little bit down on what the Kings were doing. They followed up with what I thought was a very strong free agency period. So how much did it ultimately surprise you guys that, that more moves weren't made on draft night from, from the Kings perspective? Well, I was, you know, kind of surprised, but I also think it's, it's uh, you can't make moves that aren't there to be made. And, and, you know, and I think a lot of fans, sure. you know, just assumed that you could uh, trade down and get this or get that. And, 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 and I know for a fact, that a lot of times you can't do it. You just, because the other party is more than comfortable with whoever falls uh, and they're just not re- 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 going to trade assets. And I, I think that's what happened with uh, Detroit. I think, you know, if the Kings took Ivy, they'd take Murray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, so, and I think that they, from, you know, and they probably saw kind of like we did is that, you know, I think I've been, been very happy with Ivy because uh, I thought, and I still do that whoever they drafted because of Sabonis, it would work. Sure. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things you have a, a real facilitator as in a big man that most teams don't have. So what, whoever you draft, when they don't have a clear position, probably right away, you can still make it work with a guy like that. So we'll see. The only other thing I'd say about McNair's draft that is kind of interesting is that before this year's draft, there was sort of this belief around McNair that nobody knows what the Kings are doing. You know, all these insiders are trying to predict what the Kings are doing and nobody knows. And I'm not sure that we can say that anymore because the Keegan Murray thing did leak out. You know, uh, you know, once we heard that Fox and Sabonis were going out to dinner with him, it did sort of become clear that he was going to be the guy. And then I would even say leading up to signing Malik Monk, I know we're going to get to free agency in a minute. That rumor was out there that full 24, 48 hours before it came out that Malik Monk was going to be the guy. So not saying it's negative or a positive, more of just an observation is that, um, for whatever we thought we didn't know about the Kings doing or no one had an inside source or there was nothing coming out of McNair's front office, it does seem like maybe it's agents or whoever, it's hard to keep anything quiet uh, these days. But the Kings did telegraph some of these moves, which is, again, not a, not a negative or a positive, but just something interesting that maybe now that we, uh, the next set of rumors, there might be a little bit more valid- validity to those now that we know that there's, this stuff is kind of getting out a little bit more than it had been. Yeah, I think what that, that's kind of part of having large staffs anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's always, you know, Woj talks to somebody, you can rest assured. Yeah. Uh, on, and every right. team, you know, it's like, well, how do you think he gets all this information? Well, he's talking to people that have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just as generally speaking, the Kings aren't really at tops of his list. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting to me, but you, yeah, you're right. And, uh, and as we talked about uh, the last time, I mean, once they, uh, you know, once the Kings really had De'Aaron and, and Sabonis meet and spend time with him, that that's not an automatic, but that's a pretty good giveaway. I mean, you know, your star and the fact that your, your so-called stars wanted to do that. Sure. It was, uh, I thought, maybe even more important, to be honest with you. 
So it sounds like to me that this year, the, uh, the greatest smoke screen of all was just telling Woj the truth. <laughs> maybe like <laughs> that. Maybe it's like, no one will be, no one yeah. will believe it. Just tell them the truth and no one will believe this is what's actually yeah. happening. Yeah. So, and, and Jerry, I, I want to say that that's, that's a great point that you brought up about, you know, uh, being able to trade down and the, uh, the, the ability to move down to uh, assumedly the, uh, the piston spot there. I think they were just, tickled to death to be at number five and they got to pick in the same way that we'd have been happy with any of the top three guys to drop if they dropped i think i think detroit was just not motivated to 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 make any sort of move when they knew they were getting either ivy or murray and they were happy with either one of those yeah you know i i'd always said i thought with detroit when you look at their roster i i mean certainly ivy's got a spot there but their main guy is Cade cunningham you know he's got uh you know, certainly they did sign Marvin Bagley to a deal, but they, they probably have, you know, lo- you know, losing uh, Jeremy Grant. I mean, they actually had had an equal need for a, a young forward. So, yeah, and I think it's really true. I, what little I've heard from here and there that, yeah, they would have been more than happy uh, either way, just like the Kings, really. So were there any other draft moves just in terms of league wide that surprised you? Were you guys surprised that Orlando in, in the, in the days leading up to the draft suddenly uh, flip-flopped uh, you know, not, not, not on the, not in their draft room, but just in publicly from, from the assumed Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren to Paolo Banchero being the number one guy coming in draft night. Is there any team in particular that you felt had a good or terrible draft night in general? Well, I, I wasn't too – I mean, I was surprised because I just didn't see Banchero. I thought he might be the guy that would slip. Uh, and, and really, there's every reason to believe he could very well be the best player in this draft too. You know, it's just that kind of thing. But like I say it was a little bit of a surprise. I, I thought we'd most of us had talked ourselves into Jabari Smith being the guy there, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and so I kind of wish he had been because I don't want to see him in Houston, so. Uh, you know, there, there is that, uh, but yeah, but there's always that, you know, I mean, uh, the, the old so-called top tiers or number, sure. Number one, sure. Number two. I mean, it, there's always teams see guys differently and they draft differently. And so, uh, you know, they kind of the mock draft herd mentality always kind of gets caught up once in a while. So, you know, I will say on the, who I thought really drafted well, uh, is San Antonio surprise surprise you know get, getting the kid from Ohio State uh, Maliki uh, God I can't remember his name but I, I loved him at the end of the year he was just so good getting long and athletic and then uh, Soshin or, or Soshin uh, I mean those two guys I, I think are, will be players I mean be players pretty quick and uh, maybe a long time but I, I thought those are two guys that I almost would bet you that two or three years from now, people will say, well, they should have went higher. You know, those two guys. I really liked, uh, I liked what the Pistons did, not just because they got Jaden Ivy at five, but they got uh, Jalen Duran at 10. And I think that's just, uh, that kind of highlights something that I know, Will, you've talked about. And I, it's kind of been a, a King's Herald talking point for the last couple of years is that if you kind of tank correctly, you don't need to do it for that long. Cause you look at the Pistons young core right now and they've got Cade. Now they've got Ivy. Now they got Duran and they've, they've, you know, brought in three top 10 picks in two years. And that core to me, again, we'll see how, who, who develops and we'll see how it works together. But I really like that core now. That's a, that's a really nice, interesting young core in the East. And it only took the Pistons, you know, they were, they were bad for longer than this, but it took them two years to kind of accumulate 
three really nice young pieces. It's unfortunate they didn't hit on Killian Hayes, but they also have Sadiq Bay too, who they did kind of hit on. So there are some young pieces there that suddenly the Pistons have like a very appealing young core to me. Yeah, you know, and the point on Killian Hayes, and I think it's again a plus for the Pistons. Really, they missed on him. Well, don't you know? Don't don't be you know. Just keep trying to fight it. Go go ahead and okay. Jay Divey's uh, going to make up for that miss, and uh, and and that's that. And I think that's what what you do when you you make a mistake. Uh, quite honestly, sooner you admit it and move on, the better off you are. For me, I think I think the Rockets really had a fantastic draft as well. I think they've got a young core. Just to, to your point, Tony, earlier, they're they're pretty much if they wanted to, they could wrap it up and start moving towards. It'll take a couple of years to just develop these guys, but they got a, a point guard, shooting guard in Jalen Green. They've got a big guy in Alperin Shangoon. They now have have guys like uh, Jabari Smith Jr. as a small forward. Uh, they they drafted Tari Eason, who who could be a fantastic pick for them, who's a defensive guy. They already have a defensive guy in Usman Garuba. Like they've got these young guys that are like, they seem like they're going to fit really well, both offensively and they probably need more defensively, but their, their core is fantastic. It's, it's young and it's, it's vibrant and it's going to be really exciting to see who comes out of that group in the next few years is the, you know, the, the first and the second fiddle out of all of them. But I, th- I think they had a really, really strong draft and it's all these teams that were bad around the same time the Kings were bad and, tanked instead of keeping afloat like the kings did i've kept an eye on every single one of them to be like all right how how soon is it going to be before they turn this stuff around and 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 teams like detroit and teams like the rockets they might take a few years to get there but they're already incredibly talented with the with the collection of assets they've got already you know and then the other side of that is san antonio who uh, i mean just traded away an emerging young star i mean and uh i mean it's like wow you you know you keep dejounte murray with a couple of guys and i don't know i mean now i i know i guess what they're thinking is well uh, we can't compete for a championship the way we're going and that's probably true uh we'll see if uh you know that uh, winning less games helps them you know, get there. I, I don't know. I mean, at that time to tell, I mean, I, you have to say with certainly because it's San Antonio and RC Buford and Greg Popovich, you'd have to have a lot of reason to believe they know what they're doing. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one for me, Jerry. I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of those things for me that uh, I can always be like, well, if the Spurs are tanking, then, then the Kings certainly can like the, if the Spurs have enough pride in themselves to feel like they're dropping out of the mix this year because they, I mean, they were the 10th seed last year. They did absolutely out outplay and, and get out coached by the Kings. And so it's one of those things like if they're dropping out, like there's just no excuse. And if, if this, if this core doesn't work out for the Kings, I'm going to, I'm going to bang my head against the wall. I'm going to run through a brick wall if I have to, in order to get them to fully, fully commit to dropping out because it, it, to me, it seems like the, they're very obviously making a move towards the top of this draft. They, they know that there's guys like Victor Wembanyama and, and, and Scoot Henderson, some other guys that, that can provide their franchise, something that obviously in their mind, DeJounte Murray isn't really doing enough for them, even though he's an all-star on a bad yeah, team. Say they, they may be searching <laughs> for five years to find somebody as good as he was. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You're absolutely that, right that, on that, that one, Jerry. Part will, Time will tell, of course, and then who they, they get by. Uh, you know, I saw where Wembanyama, however you pronounce it, uh, uh, signed a two-year deal in Europe. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, sure. 
<laughs> so now that doesn't mean I that'll really that'll really annoy people, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's like well, <laughs> if if that's what you're doing to get him, then it, uh, it, it you may you may, uh, may that may not work. But again, hey, it's a it's a lottery, and and being bad doesn't mean you get the best player and all that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, that that was just one that's really struck me because I I really became a Dejounte Murray fan and. And even though I thought Atlanta gave up an awful lot to get him, I understand why they did because, sure. you know, they can go small and really protect uh, Trey Young, and which is what they needed to do. Yeah, I thought that was a fantastic pickup for them. I think those two fit together like a glove. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to get into free agency here now. Uh, the first real, I wouldn't call it a shocker, but the first real surprise of Kings free agency, at least for a layman like myself, was that uh, the Kings declined the qualifying offer on, on Dante DiVincenzo uh, after multiple attempts, multiple years of trying to acquire the big ragu. Um, that experiment was over after only 25 games. Uh, before we discuss who the Kings brought in to fill his role, were either of you guys surprised in the moment that the Kings had sent uh, Dante DiVincenzo packing the way that, uh, the way that they did? I was a, a, a little bit surprised, but I, I kind of took it that, you know, at the way it ended, that uh, he wasn't real thrilled about being a king, number one. And number two, that he, that he and his agent probably had a little bit exaggerated, uh, you know, idea of his own value, which uh, sure. so, so, you know, just on those two thoughts, it's like, well, if, if in fact he's not just thrilled to be in there and you're going to have to overpay him a lot to keep him, I could see why. And, you know, and then certainly McNair and his staff had some other things working, but yeah. So I guess in a long story short, I wasn't as big a fan probably as some, and I, I'd said this before on, on, you know, here is that I thought he's a fourth guard. That's what I really think. He's a fourth guard on a good team. And uh, to me, he's, John Barry, 2022, <laughs> you know, uh, just that type of good player. But uh, yeah. if you're needing more than 15 minutes a game, I think you, you're probably going to be disappointed. Uh, but so anyway, so, so once that happened, uh, it happened. Tony, what about you? I was a Dante DiVincenzo fan. I was happy the Kings finally acquired him. I wanted them to resign him. And even now, seeing what they did with Malik Monk and Kevin Herter. I wish, I don't know if I can say I wish they kept Dante DiVincenzo still, but I guess my my knock on the Kings for how they handled this one um, is that you could have, I guess I'm, I'm coming at this from the, the, the frame of mind where uh, the Kings are kind of projecting like they're going to do everything they can to win. They're on this t- rigid timeline where they should be doing everything they can to win. And Dante DiVincenzo was an opportunity to keep a player because you have, because uh, he's a restricted free agent, you can keep him. You can go over the cap to keep him. So nothing the Kings did in free agency, whether it was trading for Herder or signing Leak Monk, would have prevented them from also keeping Dante DiVincenzo. So if you're going to tell me that you're doing everything you can to win, and uh, you know you're you got this two-year timeline, it's it's playoff or bust. We're we're really trying to win right now. I view Dante DiVincenzo because he was a restricted free agent as a player they could have kept. Um, and done all the rest of their moves as well, but just, you know, lift the floor of this team a little bit more. I understand why the fit doesn't really make a whole lot of sense now. They did bring in Monk and Herter because there's so much, uh, there's not just a lot of, there's not a lot of shooting guard minutes left available, but that's, I guess, the the position I kind of take on the Dante DiVincenzo thing is, you know, you could have, if you were going to trade a first round pick, which they did for Kevin Herter, 
you could have done something else there to get maybe a wing and then just kept DiVincenzo because again, you have his restricted free agency um, rights. You could have kept him anyway. So obviously like Jerry's right. Something went wrong in translation this last year because Monty McNair had been chasing him for over a year. It seemed pretty clear to me that McNair wanted this player to be a piece here. Something didn't work out um, clearly towards the end of the season last year. So I was more disappointed when that news broke less disappointed once we saw the follow-up moves McNair made, but that is a weird one. And it, I don't know, they let bogey go for nothing. Now DiVincenzo goes for nothing. I guess we'll see who, who, uh, who wins that at the end of the day. Also him going to golden state is not, not optimal because if any organization or system is going to make him look as good as possible, it's the warriors. So again, we'll see how this plays out in a few years. Well, that's, that's where I would uh, really agree with you, Tony, is that, boy, that's the last place I wanted to see him go, uh, you know, because uh, I guarantee you, you know, he's a good enough player that's all of a sudden going to look a lot better, right? Uh, you know, with those guys. And, and uh, of course, the Warriors got him at a yeah. bargain rate, uh, you know, which, which, I mean, I don't think probably he, you know, which his agent was smart enough to realize that probably he didn't have the value they thought he did. And, uh, and wisely got him in a place where it really could benefit him. And, and so that's, that's to his credit. So I don't know, but, but I, I do think that, you know, with Herter, the thing I like is that he can play three. Yeah. He's, you know, I mean, he, he's done it. I've watched him do it. I watched a lot of Hawks games because I like watch, watching them really. And of course, bogey and all, but, but he can play three kind of like bogey did. And, and, uh, and I, I could see where the Kings would, will do that some, you know, go small and it could really uh, to score. Uh, so, so now Monk to me, you could certainly, I understand fan, if fan wanted to say, well, I think Dante is better than Monk. Okay. You can make that case. And, and some people can make the case. Well, I don't think he is. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, so, so there's that. I mean, I think that uh, maybe the comfort zone of with De'Aaron maybe make, makes the the difference uh you know i mean at some point you can't be worried about comfort zone with darren forever but uh but probably this might if you're going to this might might be the last roundup for that jerry i'm curious only uh, just to get back to dante for a second is this a matter of of and did you get your gm you know the gm spider sense when when dante got uh, his qualifying offer dropped were you kind of like okay this is a this is a management thing with his agent and and, and Monty McNair, or was this simply a guy who was injured, who maybe the Kings saw like, oh, maybe he's not coming back from this injury as soon as we thought, who shot 36 and a half percent from the field. Uh, this guy's just not good enough to hold on to. Is this one of those things where it's a combination of the two, or do you really feel like this was a matter of his agent and, and management not getting along? I think it's a little, I'd have to say almost a, that might be the number one part of it. There's, there's other things, I believe, if he'd, you know, maybe – if he was a better player in, in the management's eyes, I think you you can always overlook problems if a guy's really good. <laughs> I mean, not that he's not a good player because he is, he's a good player, but I, yeah, I think it's a case where at least somewhere along the line, uh, you know, the, his Dante or his people, his, his agent really got the idea that, that uh, he was worth a lot more money and value than, than the Kings did. And that's uh, and that's as it should be. If one party doesn't think so, then that's that's why you have the 
free agent situation and teams right to refusal and all that. So, uh, yeah, I think it came down to that. I think Monty and his staffs and well, we'd like to keep Dante, but if it's going to take that, thank you very much and good luck to you, but please don't go to the Warriors. I don't know if they said that, but I would have said that. Uh, Worth a shot. It's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. So the day after declining Dante, the Kings found themselves with a new shooting guard, a former Kentucky running mate of De'Aaron Fox, as we previously mentioned, uh, Malik Monk. Uh, They signed him to a two-year $19 million deal. Uh, What do you guys think of the fit, the contract? Do you feel like Malik Monk is the – the assumed starter for shooting guard day one, or are we uh, not ready to, to do that in a battle between Davion Mitchell, Monk, and, and Kevin Herter? Well, I, I I think that's for Coach Brown to decide to really do. I think he's got some decisions to make. I mean, I thought Monk, uh, his, kind of his last year in Charlotte, was finally figuring the league out, and you saw signs of that. And then, of course, with the Lakers, he had a very good year. I, you know, I I, I like Monk. Uh, I mean, I think he's a big time shot maker on, on the rise. Uh, is he the right guy to start? I don't know. Uh, you know, whether you, a uh, herder's a better player in my opinion. I mean, he's the better player. And so uh, if just on that basis, uh, you know, that, but there again, that coach Brown has to decide, you know, but he's got some nice, at least some nice choices to make, you know, cause uh you know, Herder's a, Herder's a nice, nice player getting better. And, and Monk is too young, getting better. And of course, Davion's young and getting better. So, uh, but there's minutes for all of them. But I, I, I do think that with this team, and we, we talked about it all year long. And so for, to not be considered of the fact that he can make shots. I mean, he is a shot maker. Now, if you get him again with uh, Sabonis and, and I think it's some unselfish play. Uh, if you get him some open looks, he's gonna he's gonna hit forty percent from three. I believe that. So, so we all sat here and bitched and moaned all winter long about him not having enough shooting. And then, you know, they go get a big time shooter. Oh, well, geez, they should have done this or that. It's like, well, <laughs> come on, you know, uh, Steph Steph Curry wasn't available. <laughs> Tony, what do you think of the fit with uh, with Malik Monk? Yeah, my disappointment for how the DiVincenzo thing played out was uh, was gone pretty quickly because I I like Malik Monk a lot. Um, he was he is definitely Monty McNair's biggest free agent signing, which is not a huge compliment. It's his third offseason here, but it, that those are the facts. And he was beyond anything I thought the Kings would be able to accomplish in free agency. Honestly, I thought Monk would have more competition. I didn't think the Kings would be his preferred destination. I thought when you're t- like every team basically can spend the MLE. So it is a pretty even playing field for what they could have paid Monk. And for Monk to pick the Kings out of not saying 30 other teams are interested in him, but the Kings offered him nothing that anyone else couldn't have also offered him. So from that standpoint, I thought it was like a, a home run use of the MLE for McNair. I think it's a, a great fit, um, at least chemistry-wise, next to Fox. And I agree with Jerry 100% that this is – like, if this doesn't work out with Fox, with and you could throw Herter into this combination too, because if Herter and Monk, in theory, are two great fits with Fox offensively. Defensively is another story, but offensively, this should work out well for Fox. And if if neither one of them does, this has to be a Fox problem and not the guy they keep bringing in to play next to Fox problem because – uh, the chemistry with Monk and Fox is obviously there from Kentucky. Um, the Herder and, and Monk can both shoot with volume. So I think it's a, a great move by McNair and sort of the 
the last stand for De'Aaron Fox here if he can't continue to be efficient and effective on offense with another guard who can score in the backcourt with him. So that's what it's about to me is, is finding out which guy plays the best with Fox. And uh, both players really need to, to perform well from the beginning of the season. We can't do this thing. We're waiting, you know, three months for Fox to, to get going. It's got to start on day one, whether it's Monk, Herder, I don't know, but at least there's two good options here now. And what, two weeks ago, there were none. So good stuff by McNair. This was the first time that the Kings went into a, a free agency period where they let somebody go that was uh, obviously a value to somebody, and my brain went, "Oh, they better have a they better have a plan for this one," and then they did, and I was like surprised, like, "Oh, yeah. oh, not only did they, you know, not only the trade later on that would have been great in itself, but like, oh, Malik Monk is actually coming, like, oh, okay, well then I guess they did, like, I guess there was an understanding between the front office and 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 another player that like oh there's value in in being the Sacramento Kings this time around and we're able to give out money to a player that is in my mind a better fit with Darren Fox in that regard uh, i was i was surprised a bit that the kings were actually able to 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 get a feeling out of me too my cold dead heart was such that it was like <laughs> oh lord like uh okay i'm just going to have to sit here and see how this goes like i took two more steps back from the kings like i'm going to okay and then they and then they impressed me so i was i was happy to hear that one um, let's see here. Are you guys surprised that, that it was only a two-year deal? Would, would it have been something advantageous to, to, to go three, to push it one more year, just so that they have bird rights in case Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox do hit it off just like they did in college? Well, that's a fair question. I, I you know, I think it, it goes both ways. You, you really don't know just who won the two-year deal. Okay. Uh, I, I suspect if, if I were Monk's agent, I would want the two-year deal as opposed to a longer-term deal on those numbers. Because I think you, you've got reason to believe, I think, you know, I mean, if I'm his agent and if I'm a monk, I'm, I've got reason to believe that I'm going to be more valuable in that in a couple of years. So, yeah. uh, so why would I want to be tied up longer term? And if I'm, if I'm the Kings, I would imagine they would have probably added a, probably happy to add a third year. But, but, uh, I, but then again, you know, it's like, well, if it doesn't work, I don't want to be tied in too long either. It, right. it, but it is, but it is kind of thing. If I were the Kings, if you could have got him for a third year, partial guarantee, see that'd been your home run there. Yeah. Oh yeah. But, but, uh, but like I say, I, I, I think, uh, I think probably the agent drove for, for Malik Monk drove this deal. Once the, once the money was, set you know what yeah once that that was what they're going to get yeah is this too into the weeds Sonia? is this are the beans too small for us to be counting them this way no because that was my first thought was like oh damn i wish i got one more year or two more years but this is i don't think this is um this wasn't a king's problem to me i think jerry is i mean i i assume that it was a monk camp decision because he he's a good enough player that he should be able to get the mle every year so why sign up for four years of that when he's a player on the, like he has upside left. If he, ever, if he's a starting two guard for the Kings next year and ups his points per game from what it was at 13 last year to like 16 or even 18, would that surprise anyone? I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And then he's a more valuable player when he's free agency next time. So um, I was disappointed maybe that he didn't get a longer term contract, but I don't put that on the Kings. I put that on Monk's camp deciding that was what was best for him. Okay, so then a couple of days later, after the acquisition of Monk, uh, the Kings uh, made a swap with Atlanta with uh, Kevin Herter coming to Sacramento for Justin Holiday, for Mo Harkless, and for a 2024 lottery-protected first-round pick that becomes a top-12 protected pick in 2025 and a top-10 protected pick in 2026. 
before rolling into a couple of seconds. Uh, we we've touched on them a little bit, but I wanted to know what you guys uh, what you guys think of the move to acquire uh, Kevin Harder, and uh, on top of that, what you guys think of the Kings uh, JJ Hicksoning themselves a little bit here, putting out their protections for a few years uh, before it rolling over into a couple of seconds. Well, I, I like those protections because, generally speaking, uh, you you're going to lose at some point, but there's a good chance you're going to be giving up seconds. <laughs> and, and, and so you are protected in the, in the key spots of the lottery. And that's the main thing. You don't want to be giving up a, a, a low lottery pick. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I thought you had to probably do, you know, obviously uh, Harkless and, and Holiday were not what Atlanta was interested in at all. Yeah. So, you know, you know, that, that's a, a non-starter, you know, if, so the Kings, the deal was basically that unprotected first for, uh, you know, for her. That's really what it was. Atlanta's, you know, got more guys than they can play. And uh, certainly when they, when they added uh, DeJounte Murray, which they knew they were going to, that, that Herder was probably the odd man out there a little bit. Yeah. I love this move in every, I mean, this is, this was to me the McNair's biggest best move of free agency so far, or since this off season started, I think Herter's a great fit. I think he can play uh, either the three or the two, ideally the two, but if the Kings are going to have a weird rotation anyway, so it, maybe it's the three, who knows? Um, the trade trading the first round pick is, you know, ideally you don't, but you have to trade to get talent. So that, that seems like a fair cost to me for Herter. And I think the, the thing I like the most about this and the monk move, if you remember the last time the Kings told us they were going to try and compete, Vlade Divac was the general manager and they brought in guys like Rajon Rondo and Zach Randolph and George Hill and Vince Carter. And it was these older veterans who they were overpaying, who didn't really have upside left. They were what they were, or they were going to get worse. And I think in this round of the Kings telling us they're going to try and win, they went out and got players like Monk, like Herter, who are 23, 24, who are good now, should be good later. And they might even be better than they are now. You know, it's, it's, I, would, I wouldn't even say it's just conceivable. I say it, it's probably likely that both Monk and Herter will be better at the end of their contracts than they are right now. They'll be more experienced, two more years in the league, um, all of that. So I, I love these moves by McNair because of that, because it's not just so win now that it's older veterans where either they're just coming there for a payday or they're over the hill. No, these are two hungry players who are still establishing themselves in the NBA. And I think those were really a, a home run signing and a home run trade. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head there, Tony, that uh, there is no Matt Barnes in this group of players. Right. That, the, that, that these are guys that all have upside. And uh, as the tank commander uh, here on the podcast, it is one of those things that, like, it is a relief, a small relief that at least they're going to get young guys with upside rather than just, like, an established, like, and, and the fact that even the guys that they didn't get, uh, John Collins was a guy that they were looking at. But some of these other players, none of them were like a, a 32 year old guy that they just, for reason. well, you know, he'll, he'll hold it down for the next three years. These are all guys that can grow, that can, that can be signed into another contract if this, all this works out well. Yeah. I think Monty's really, you know, put him in a good spot. It, it's like the, the tough part as we've talked so much about is, uh, you know, you, you've certainly improved your team and you've filled some of the weaknesses, no doubt about that. It's just a matter of how good can you be? And, uh, of course, I, sure. I guess my, my feeling is it's kind of a three-prong thing from now on, short of another big deal. It's, it's uh, uh, Coach Brown has got to figure out, you know, how to use these pieces because there are some good pieces there. And, and I think, uh, you know, 
De'Aaron Fox is is such a, a key. You know, De'Aaron Fox has got to have a, a really good year all the way around. And and then maybe the I, I don't think I worry much about Herder or Monk. I think they're proven commodities. And 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 Keegan Murray needs to be a really top flight rookie. You know, he doesn't have to be the best one. He doesn't have to be the fifth best, really. But he has to be one of the guys you say, boy, this guy has got. He's one of the top five or six for sure. Yeah. And he's got a 12 years ahead of him and, and the Kings and he's helped make the Kings better. Those three things in my mind have to happen. Absolutely. Just have to. Okay. So I, I want to get into a, a, just a little bit more generally here. Um, considering the draft and free agency, uh, free agency so far, how do you, how do you feel like Monty McNair has done in general? I don't, I'm not going to ask for a grade or anything else like that, but do you feel like this has been enough you know, obviously they are are they are pushing for the playoffs, not the not the play-in, but the playoffs. Is this team is currently constructed uh, enough to get close to a play-in or a playoff series? And and if not, then where are those obvious holes left to fill? Well, I'd have to say I don't believe it's good enough to be in a, a top eight. Yeah. You know, and I'd love to be wrong for those uh, Kings lovers, as I am too. But I, you know, I. I want to be wrong on this. I just don't think they have what it takes to be a top eight in the West at this time. Uh, I think another move, if they could make one, uh, you know, and they've got a couple of little things they might could do, but I mean, I think they, you know, to me, they, there's definitely a shot blocking rim protection hole in my mind on this team. I don't think Keegan Murray's going to solve that problem. Uh, uh, certainly Sabonis is not going to solve that problem. Uh, and, you know, Rashawn Holmes, uh, you know, he, he's, the, you know, to a small degree, but that's not his, his best parts either. So, uh, you know, losing Damian Jones probably was a loss because he, he probably had some potential along those lines. So, so hopefully there's, there's another move out there. And, and I think if, if you're minding there, you got to, with what he's done, I, I'm, you know, give him some time. I, I'm kind of, pretty sure that he and uh, Mike Brown know what they know, what they know, know and, and what they don't have. So, uh, you know, whether it's a, a John Collins type or something, there still may be moves that could be made. And certainly as teams get closer to their own camp and go through summer league, there will be uh, some disappointments crop up from teams. And, and so, that always happens to which come September, there may be deals available that aren't currently. Yeah. I would say the Kings are considering everything they've done, you know, dating back to the Mike Brown hire, I'd probably put them at 38 to 40 wins. You know, high thirties is probably the, the easier, easier estimate. And that doesn't get you into the playoffs. It gets you in the play in conversation, but what it does get you, if you're McNair, is now I think you're maybe one trade away, which before they weren't one trade away. They were many moves away. And if you can stay relevant and in the mix, like Jerry said, through training camp, but even up to the deadline, when was the last time the Kings made it to a deadline still in the conversation? They really haven't. So that's another opportunity where maybe you're at the deadline and you're competing and you're now you're one trade away when guys are making moves. So that's kind of how I viewed the offseason so far. McNair has gotten them to a point where they're now – one bigger move away and they have enough upside that that they can they can keep themselves competitive until that move uh reveals itself as far as what they need i think there were a lot of harrison barnes rumors 
through the draft, through free agency. I don't see those going away. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So if he's moved before the season even starts, I wouldn't be surprised. So that's the other thing I would say is that McNair is probably not done here tinkering around. Um, but for now, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied that the Kings are, are closer than they were before. And they're, like I said, maybe one move away from, from really making this interesting and really getting in that playoff conversation. Tony's just really trying to uh, trying to hint at the fact that the Kings are trading for Kevin Durant in the fall. Yeah, and 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 that that he'll be able to have said he called yeah, it. Well, and and uh, certainly the Kings are got the assets they're looking for, <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah, Harrison Barnes. Uh, they can't trade their pick for a little bit. Well, you know, the, as much as I, I love you know love Durant as a player, but this is really bothers me. You know, it really does. I mean, it's like really you just signed a four-year contract you know you you just did uh you know it's like i i just don't and i think the nets i think he's gonna play for the nets for it i really do I, I don't think they can make the deal that they want to make you know he's going to be 34 uh, he's had played what 90 games of 200 available the last three years you know uh, uh a lot of money uh, that that sort of thing yeah he's He's great. I, I saw one of our our commentators that uh, well the Pelicans should trade Ingram and somebody a couple of firsts or something for him. I said I wouldn't. Uh, you know, two years from now Ingram may be better. <laughs> you know, I mean I'm not saying it is, but you know he's. Why do you want to do that? Uh, it's not like that uh, he'd make you a championship team. So I don't know. It's really, but it's disappointing. You know, to it almost. To me, he's almost become a ring chaser and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, great players, you know, I, I don't think even LeBron, yeah. I don't really think did that because he did go back to Cleveland and then go to LA when there wasn't any reason to believe that they were going to be a chance. So, I mean, he is to a degree too, but less so. I mean, he, he, he makes a team more of a ring chaser uh, or in his prime for sure. So yeah, disappointing stuff, but the, I really think the player association really, this is not a good look for the league. No, not at all. I was actually going to ask you guys uh, if there was anything in free agency that surprised you. Uh, Kevin Durant was one that I was going to mention. Uh, he, him demanding a trade as soon as the league collectively hung up on Kyrie Irving or, uh, or the hall uh, that Minnesota gave up for Rudy Gobert, or even uh, we've talked about Murray to the Hawks a little bit. Were there any moves out there in the league outside of the Kings that, that, uh, that surprised you or any free agency news that really, uh, Got to be in your bonnet. Well, the the go bear thing. I, I mean, I I like it from Minnesota because I think it protects Carl uh, Anthony. You know, who really is a big giant shooting forward, really uh, at times. But I, I think they gave up way too much. I really do. I I'm just uh, I've never been quite the Rudy Gobert fan. I mean, he's a, a really good defensive presence and all, but in today's game, uh, in today's game, I think they gave up too much. But hey, they're they're swinging, but as we talked about, they're swinging for the home run, and and we'll see and we'll see if they got it. But oh, that surprised me uh, a good bit. I'm excited to watch that Timberwolves team, but I would be if I was a fan, I'd be petrified. <laughs> like not trading five first round picks for a 30 year old center who really relies on his athleticism to be what he is. That that would scare me. Um, not to be uh, too too hometown uh, leaning. But I think the Celtics getting Brogdon and Gallinari without really giving up anything is is really good value for them. I mean, they have the exact same team, plus Brogdon, plus Gallinari, who I know I know Gallo isn't what he was, but 
um, adding those two pieces to their already pretty young team is, I don't know. I, I like that for them. So I know you mentioned the big ones, Will, but I thought they had a nice little free agency too for, for what they had. Yeah, I, I, Brogdon's a good player. And, and I, I think, you know, he got to kind of be a little full of himself in Indiana, I thought. But uh, oh, yeah. I think the Celtic thing will be good for him. And, you know, Marcus Smart will bring him along. But he really does give him a score and a guy certainly a lot better than White. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I think, you know, you saw the good and the bad with White and probably why the Spurs were willing to part. <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, but Brogdon, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll make them better. And, uh, you know, Gallinari, I mean, yeah, he's, he's pretty much over there. But for five, ten minutes, you, you know, he can go make, make some shots. Yeah, Grant Williams wasn't doing anything, so. Yeah, yeah. and you got a, you know, a 6'10", 11'' guy that you – and, you know, he, he post up and shoot jump shots, you know, I mean, that's what, what he can do. And uh, so, yeah, I thought, thought that was a good pickup. You know, that's what really good teams can do. They can take guys like that. Uh, you know, that's uh, so anyway. The, the biggest thing for me with, with Brogdon is, is, is he going to play more than 36 games this year? You know, that'll be one of those, if, if he can stay yeah. healthy, I think the Celtics are a much better team, but if he, if he trends the way he's been trending, they might not have much of him available anyways. Yeah, that's like the T.J. Warren signing, somebody signing for a year. Yeah, yeah if he can play, he's terrific. But when the last time he played? Well, two, over two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you another really good signing, I think. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's typical. Uh, uh, P.J. Tucker for Philly. Yeah. I mean, that guy, I mean, he, he makes teams better. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, well, no, nobody's going to, you know, pay him a lot. But, damn, I mean, Milwaukee missed him. You know, oh, yeah. you know, Toronto missed him. You know, I mean, that, you know, those, those teams, uh, you have a guy like that and you get, I always say this, my, the old Tyrone Corbin rule, I call it. You get a guy like that and you think, well, yeah, he's really good, but we need somebody better. And then you spend five years trying to get somebody better. <laughs> <laughs> were, there, were there any teams that you saw uh, just in the moves that they made that got significantly better or worse? Is a team like Minnesota significantly better now with Rudy Gobert? Is a team like Utah who doesn't have Rudy Gobert significantly worse than what they were before? Well, I think Utah is probably worse right today. Now they may not be, you know, by the time, you know, season starts, but I think they're worse. I, you know, although they're again, you know, getting, getting a little wild man as part of the deal, you know, uh, 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 God, my brain's going fast. A little wild man from Clippers to the Milwaukee or to uh, Minnesota. Oh, Patrick, Patrick Beverly. Beverly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he. You know, I mean, he'll 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 make them better. He'll make them better, different. Yeah. You know, he might even uh, get involved with Donovan Mitchell trying to play harder. Uh, so so that'll be some. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd, I'll be interested a little bit, maybe more than anybody. At Portland. You, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously, Shaden Sharp is a a swing there. But uh, Jeremy Grant, you know, Lillard back, signing Nurkic back. I mean, you, you, you've got, you know, it's clear they're not playing for the tank. You know, they're, they're not Griffin, they're not Griffinites. They're, they're ready to, they're, <laughs> they're, 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 they're trying to go back up the ladder. And I mean, you'd think, you'd think, well, that, that's a team if I'm the Kings, is that was behind me. I'd, I'd have to say right now, you'd think, woo. You know, with Lillard, uh, Anthony Simmons proved that he can really play while, while, you know, 
those two guys, McCollum was gone and, and Lillard hurt. So they've got that. And so, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I can see them maybe have, have improved more than the Kings have, to be honest. Portland was the one where, you know, you're looking for teams for as much as you want the Kings to get better. You also need teams from the West to get worse. And Portland was one team that I had pegged as hoping they'd get worse. And they really didn't. I mean, I don't even love Jeremy Grant, but adding Jeremy Grant to what they have, um, that's a solid pickup. So no one, I mean, the only team in the West that got worse for sure is the Spurs, uh, which is great. You know, trade away all your guys. That's, that's good for us, but uh, not, there wasn't a lot of tanking in the West outside of the Spurs this off season. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how far Utah falls without Gobert, but I have a feeling they're still going to be pretty good. Yeah. And then, then you got teams, you know, like, you know, like Oklahoma city and Houston that, uh, you know, I mean, they may not be playoff teams or even play in, but they're going to win more games. Uh, they're just more talented. So that, that makes it a little, yeah. you know, a little tougher for teams like the Kings, not just even the top level. Now, you know, I, I think Fort, I mean, Phoenix has got some things to work out, obviously themselves, uh, and it's not that they're going to be bad, but, but I mean, if the eight and thing, they, uh, they've got to get that resolved one way or another. That's true. Oh, by the way, I, before I forget it, I was, and, and you guys will officially know that I have went off the deep end now. I, I was kind of, kind of hoping they'd try <laughs> to do a, like a, a, maybe a sign and trade or something for JaVale McGee with, with Rashawn, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, Rashawn obviously played there when he's there and they need a center <laughs> And more of a starting center if they lose Aiden. And I thought JaVale McGee would, would I mean, he is JaVale McGee, but the guy, the <laughs> guy, you know, he blocks shots and, yeah. and he's productive in, in short minutes for the most part. He's been on championship caliber teams for a lot of his career, you know, and it's like, well, I thought, boy, he'd be a great fit behind yeah. uh, Sabonis. Anyway, that was my that was my brainstorm for the week. Yeah. It went went nowhere. I'll be I'll be a bummer here too, Jerry. And that I think there's one other team that I think got at least a little bit better and has the potential to get a lot better really quickly, and that's the Lakers. I think they got uh, Juan Toscano Anderson, who was a bench guy for the Warriors. Who the Warriors were just so deep and had so many talented players that they just didn't really need to play him that much in the playoffs. I think he's a great player. I think they got Damian Jones who's going to do really well for them in terms of what they, what they need from a backup center. And I think that anytime the Lakers are, are the ultimate failing upward team. And, and just for the, like the last decade, they've been a team that has absolutely been crappy at everything and they've won a championship out of it. And they will continue to, to keep their head above water just because of where they're located and who's on their team. But I think they're, I think they're one Brooklyn Nets owner away from, from getting Kyrie Irving and, or getting a Kevin Durant and shipping out Russell Westbrook and, and then being right back on the top of the heap again. And I hate that I have to say that, but the Lakers are always, are always one pull of the trigger away from being the best team in the league. And I, and I, and I think that now, even today. Well, yeah, I mean, help, uh, you know, if, if Anthony Davis decides to play and it stays healthy, that automatically, but I'll tell you a guy that, uh, you know, that they picked up, I think is terrific. I'm pretty sure they put Lonnie Walker. Uh, from mm -hmm. from the Spurs, I mean, he was a sure. you know he's a bucket getter, uh, you know, and and that goes along with some of the guys you mentioned. I, I think you know, and, and I, I think to their credit, though, you know, they know that LeBron can can make those guys better. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, okay, you guys go play. You know, they're young. They got some young guys who are bucket mm -hmm. getters instead of like the last year they had a bunch of old guys who <laughs> used to be bucket getters. 
Yeah, that's that's the one that like and with Darvin Ham like being their coach, I I, I think he's going to be a fantastic motivator and like a really good coach for what they need. And uh, they, it's just one of those things that like I can already feel the like the headache in the back of my head from like the Lakers winning seven games in a row and the Kings have lost two in a row. You know, here's what you here's what you better worry about. Now, just 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 picture this: if Darvin Ham can can uh, get those guys winning again and get and they do have to keep Russell Westbrook and he buys in and fits in, sure. then I'm saying there needs to be one more statue out front of uh, the former Staples Center, and that'd be Darvin Ham. <laughs> just go ahead, just go ahead and, and make that thing right now. I don't think it's going to happen, no. by the way. So, but I just if anyone if anyone's going to do it, I feel like it'll be the Lakers. It'll be Darvin Ham who just he'll just 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 motivate the hell out of him. Just being the guy that he is, the personality that he is, just push them into a place where everyone buys in, and it'll make me sick. And I'll hate that I have to hate him forever, but I will. I will gladly do it if I have to. Okay, so we're going to move on to Summer League. Uh, the California Classic was underway over the, uh, the 4th of July weekend, and uh, the Kings wound up going undefeated with uh, Keegan Murray putting on a show for his, his first and third games. Uh, do you guys have any takeaways from these three games? Uh, maybe not just about uh, Keegan Murray, but also maybe uh, Kian Ellis, who we've talked about a little bit, uh, Nemius Keita. I have one takeaway, but it has nothing to do with basketball. So I'll let you two uh, run with this one. Well, I mean, I, I thought uh, Keegan played quite well. I mean, certainly the second game he didn't. I thought he was didn't play well at all. Of course, a lot of it's missing shots, you know, and uh, he made shots overall. You know, I mean, the bottom line is he shot a high percentage from two, a high percentage from three, and uh, was pretty good. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd like to see him maybe a little more aggressive, but I have to say for him to do what he did, with that set of guards, oh my god! I, I just oh, not a Frankie yeah. Ferrari fan, Jerry. That is a Frankie <laughs> Ferrari. Oh boy, that's a, that's not even a, a Nash Rambler there, boy. But uh, but yeah, it almost looked like they avoided him. I mean, you know, and it, and, and not yeah. just Ferrari, but to some of the other guys. Uh, you know, so so that was disappointing, and it really did disappoint me that honestly that you got one guy that you really have got to to use and to see. And I really felt honestly, and, and I've been involved with summer leagues and a lot of times that it's made pretty explicit. Hey, this is, you know, we're going to, we're going to see what this guy can do and we're going to run this stuff. And sometimes you have to have a little come to Jesus talk with guards of that nature. You know, like you find them, you little dip or, uh, <laughs> or you'll sit here. But uh, so anyway, I, I thought under the circumstances, he, he played quite well. I think he could have done more. He does seem to, my negative would be, I thought he was a little bit passive and went along with, to a fault with, with uh, his teammates kind of, sure. I thought, uh, avoiding him. So, you know, but hey, he's, he's young. So that's good. And, and like I said, too, uh, Keon Ellis, I like a lot. And Quaida, you know, he's, he's a, other than that, who cares? Yeah. Tony, are you, uh, are you ready to get off the uh, Frankie Studebaker ride? I definitely don't want to see Frankie. Where's David Stockton? Can we get David Stockton in? <laughs> yes, get David Stockton back. <laughs> yeah, get David, the best summer league point guard of all time. David Stockton will be 45 and still running the Kings from the but That's a perfect summer league point guard. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't care about himself at all. He is. He's going to get everyone else the ball. That's all you want. That's all you want. That's right. So true. But I, I, the one thing that Keegan Murray that stood out to me that is me, it's not really a, I don't know, just an observation. And maybe Jerry and Will, you guys feel differently. But 
coming into the draft and into the league, in my mind, I was like, oh, Keegan Murray, this is going to be a guy who can play some three, play some four, versatile player for the Kings. Watching him just in summer league, again, only three games, he seemed a lot more four than three to me out there. So if there's, I think Mike Brown has some interesting rotation uh, decisions to make because Harrison Barnes is probably still better at the four at the stage of his career. I don't totally trust Keegan Murray as a rookie. Are you going to send him out on the perimeter guarding threes? I don't know. Um, so that was kind of my, my takeaway watching him for three games was, man, this guy kind of looks like a four to me. That's not a bad thing, but it it's, makes things a little bit complicated. I'm not sure how much I trust him playing out on the perimeter too much, uh, especially in year one. But also I thought Demias Keda, his numbers don't look great. He follows a ton, but I still think there's something there. I, yeah. I don't know what it is exactly with him. He's obviously huge, but and he's he's confident, which can be good and bad. He takes some some wild shots off post ups. But the Kings have done this thing for a long time that I hate, and maybe they won't do it under Mike Brown, where they give the trailing center the ball when he first gets up to the court, and they run some offense through a center, no matter who it is. They were doing this with Willie Cauley Stein, the last player I'd ever want to have the ball in his hands, where they would pass the ball to the trailing center to him all the time. And the summer league Kings are doing that with Nemias Keda but he looks pretty confident, like making plays with the ball on the perimeter. Not that you want him doing that, but just the confidence he has dribbling the ball around on these dribble handoffs, passing out of that high post area. Um, he's just got like some offensive skill and he's not afraid of, of the moment. He's not afraid of having the ball in those situations. That makes me think that maybe there's something, cause he's obviously interesting on defense. He blocks a ton of shots. He's a great rebounder. So we know he can do those things, but if he can also be, somewhat of a hub on offense either handling a little bit passing the ball or, or moving some offense around him he's obviously a good screener too i just think there might be a player there but we'll have to see some more uh when it's not just summer league i i think the biggest thing with Kada is is that his passing ability uh, allows him to do certain things that a, another guy seven feet tall isn't going to be able to do like you have to stay on him just a little bit tighter you have to come up out of uh, up on him a little bit closer at the three-point line so sometimes that was the thing that i, I looked at too that i kind of went yeah, okay and then I like he he tossed a really nice pass or a really crisp pass. And it's like, oh, okay, oh no, 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 that's fine. Like it's Kata, where if it was any other summer league big guy, I'd be like, oh, god damn it. You know, oh, this guy is gonna uh, it's going into the stands. But it took me a while to get adjusted, like a whole game to get adjusted to where I knew it was Kata going up and down the floor. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'll let him take the ball at the three-point line and yeah, fiddle around with it a little bit. Like, you know, to me, it's like Tony said, I, there there is something there, and I think I know what it is. You know, because you have your own mindset of what this big person is, is. But actually, there's a basketball player in there. Yeah. You know, there's a guy with some some skill. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's not quite transferable yet, yeah. but but you see okay. little tibs yeah. and tabs, and I that's why I say, boy, that's a big old body that has a pretty good feel of the game yeah. and and some skill to go with it. And that's why you you want to hang in there a while and. Uh, so I'd say, and, and I totally agree with uh, Tony on uh, Keegan, more of a four than a three. Uh, I, he'd be have a tough time uh, being a three. Uh, and eventually, I don't think he will, but, but that, that's going to be the adjustment. And he's, yeah, he's going to have a tough time being a four, uh, you know, in this league at, at 215 pounds for a while. But, but his skill set and ability to shoot deep, um, you know, I would say that when you can really shoot and shoot deep, that, that, that opens a lot of doors for you and makes you a little quicker. And the, the, the last thing on him, I, which I, I'd read that somewhere before and I heard him mention it tonight was that, he, you know, he, he basically is left-handed except he plays right-handed. 
shoots. Well, I always said that was yeah. that's the way I always was. And and Larry Bird's that way. You know, he he does everything left-handed. Uh, each writes everything left-handed, except of course he plays basketball primarily right-handed. But obviously, that lends to a good left hand, as they say. <laughs> and I think we saw that with Keegan. You know, he was very comfortable driving left as a young player, and not many and not many are. My one, my one petty takeaway, this is the only thing I have, is that this should have been hosted in Sacramento. And, like, I'm sure that there was some contract stipulation that said if you jump into this, into the California Classic, then, then you get to host it at some point. But the Kings sold out that event. Yeah. You know, every time they was around, there, were, there, was, there was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people there regardless. And the Warriors sold so few tickets uh, today that the third day was essentially close to fans at the Chase Center. That there was no fans at the Chase Center just because, oh, it's Monday in San Francisco and who's going to want to go? It's everyone in Sacramento will want to go. That's who. So bring it back to the Golden One Center. Uh, don't don't move it to Los Angeles. You'll you, it, regardless yeah. of whether it's the Clippers or Lakers, you're not going to get the draw. Bring it back to Sacramento. Make your money. You know, have a profit sharing thing. If 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 the Warriors really need that extra hundred thousand dollars to to buy new basketballs or a new you know hydrotherapy machine, fine. But but bring it to Sacramento and make your money because uh, the Warriors the Warriors did not put on their best effort. They had two free months of basketball already. Give it back to Sacramento. That's all we've got out here. Damn it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. So Tony, let's, let's just go ahead and roll on to our uh, Patreon question of the day. Thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our Kings Herald patrons at patreon.com slash Kings Herald. You could submit questions there or on Twitter or on the site, just in the comments. Um, and if you don't hear your question, get asked on the podcast today. We record a Patreon Q&A every month where all the leftover questions get asked to Jerry. We do try and get through them all. Um, today's question comes from Heart of Gamer, and he asks a question that we kind of touched on, but it'd be fun to get some specifics on the board on uh, July 5th. It's pretty early. He says, for Jerry, given the current roster, who does he think will be the starting five on opening night? Ooh. Well, uh, you know, as you said, this is July, it's July 5th. So, uh, but I would, uh, I'd probably tend to think it, it's probably going to be Kevin Herter and, and uh, De'Aaron with uh, certainly Harrison, Sabonis. And I think they'll trot out Keegan. I think they'd like to, I think he'll he'll get a starting spot, you know, early on, and you know he needs to earn it to some degree. But but I think that sh shouldn't be too hard. I mean, uh, that'd be my guess. Uh, I mean, they may want to, you know, maybe the only other thing I could see is is using uh, going in starting Davion, uh, and then using, you know, using the bigger guards to fill in. And, fill in the gaps as you you go to the bench and things so i, I don't know but but i guess i'll go with that i'll, I'll stay with uh, uh to me i always like to, to say you really ought to have a situation where you start your best players <laughs> and and so if you you know and i know it's old-fashioned but you always said back in, uh, if you're coaching junior high you'd start your five best players and high school you start your five best players and college you always did and the nba a lot of times you don't because of somebody's contract or somebody with draft status and I always said that uh, something's wrong with that plan. Yeah. But, but I, I think in this case, uh, I, I, I'd be surprised if Murray isn't good enough to get a starting spot and certainly 
and fits with Barnes and Sabonis. And, and like I say, uh, Herter to me is the best player of the rest. So, so let's go with that. Probably not going to be 82 and 0. I got to tell you, <laughs> just got to tell you right up front, not, not going to happen. 82 and 0. Will, what do you got for a uh, early starting lineup prediction? Okay, so uh, uh, bar- barring no further ch- big trades or injuries. If that's what you want to predict, Will. I mean, yeah. Uh, let me predict an injury so that when it occurs, I get strung <laughs> yeah. up. Uh, yeah. yeah, on November 8th, there will <laughs> yeah. be an injury. Fox's too. MCL is just, it feels wobbly. No, I'm not going to do that. No, and I'm not going to, that's wood. I'm not going to oh. wood right there. There we go. Uh, so uh, obviously Fox at point guard, I, I think they'll probably want to go they don't have any shot blocking, so maybe they're going to want to go big and run uh, uh, Kevin Herter at the shooting guard just so they've got a 6'7 guy as their, as their second shortest guy. Then they can run Davion and Malik uh, Monk off the bench and use Malik Monk as, like, I don't know, shooting guard Bobby Jackson, or just, like, go out there and score. Like, Davion will lock up whatever guard uh, is coming off the bench. You just go out there and shoot the shit out of the ball. Uh, and then we'll, we'll say Barnes at three, Keegan at four, Sabonis at five, and we're just going to have to score 150 points a night in order to in order to make this work. That 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 would be my that's my that's my prediction way too early in the offseason. I would. Uh, this is part me just switching it up from what you guys said, but I think that well, Herder's a different case because they traded for him. I do think part of convincing Monk to come here, not that there was a starting role promise, but if they said like, hey, you're going to really have an opportunity here to play with Fox, that wouldn't surprise me. So I'll go with Fox Monk. I'll throw Herder in at three. I'll go Barnes at four, Sabonis at five, and they will start slow with Keegan off the bench. I hope I'm wrong because I want to see him start, but that's kind of where I'm leaning. They they made some initial soft promises to the new guys that they'll get a chance to start, and that's what they'll at least roll with at the beginning. And that's the starting, that's the starting, you know, that's that's opening night. Ten games into the season is always a lot different than the first right. night. So I mean, didn't Desmond Mason start opening night one year and then he only lasted like five games of the team? <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's been through the years, there's been, uh, you know, some scary, some scary things. uh, Orion green started at point. Orion green. You know, that's, I was trying to think of that. Oh, so who knows anything? Yeah. Yeah, And uh, we'll remember all the hub love with uh, Grievous Vasquez. Oh yeah. You know, and I always remember that reading this different sites and I think he had some, fanboy that just was killing Isaiah Thomas, you know, you know, like Vasquez, it should be playing over Isaiah. It's like, really? Do you watch? You can't be watching, you know, even if you're, even if you're his girlfriend and making love to him, you can't really, you can't be watching and think that. Uh, the initial pain on your face, Jerry, when Tony mentioned Orion Green was, was hilarious. That, that oh. was a man who had seen oh. 30 years of, of bad starters at some point or another. Oh man. Yeah. You know, and, and I kind of remember a, sort of a story on that because I think Reggie Theus was coaching them and, uh, uh, Gotcha. Who is it? Oh, the assistant from Indiana oh, got in trouble. Ah, geez, again. Uh, anyway, he, he pushed for Orion. He'd been with the Pacers for he a little was while. Pacers. Yeah, yep. yeah. And he pushed for him and uh, uh, basically to, to, to come here. And, and, and I remember talking to Reggie and Reggie said, you know, what do, what do you think about that guy? And I said, Reggie, I don't think he's any good at all. <laughs> <laughs> and Reggie said, Boy, I said, I'm, I'm looking hard, he said, but, you know, uh, Coach, God, I, uh, uh, God, he's a hell of a player for the Pacers for years. Uh, 
Jeez, you talk about senility coming in quick. Uh, can't think of his name, but he was our assistant coach for a good guy, too. It wasn't Chuck Person, was it? Chuck Person. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy cow. The Chuckster. Yes. Great guy. Good job. Yeah, good hell of a player. But he, he just had a he just had a thing for Orion, you know, because I, I think he worked with him some in, in Indiana, you know, thought one of those, well, you know, he kind of how coaches do sometimes assistants try to ingratiate themselves a little bit with their guy. And uh, so, so anyway, yeah, that lasted, that was a short time, but we've had some dandy starters. Or we've had some. I looked this up for Jerry and Tony here. Orion Green started the first two games mm-hmm. of the, of the 2007, 2008 season. And the Kings started off that season. Oh, and two. Yeah. So <laughs> there was no other possibility. Will. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do think in fairness to the Kings, I think that was a Mike Bibby injury. Was just like yes. Green yeah. And then they got Baino after like a couple of games and he played really well. Yeah. yeah that's how it was. Yeah. The after they removed Orion Green from the starting lineup, it was Francisco Garcia, Kevin Martin, Brad Miller, uh, Mickey Moore, and uh John Salmons that all played together for the next oh no three or four games. So they were, they just decided no point guards better than green a point <laughs> yeah. guard. Mikey Moore, the uh, yeah, Mikey Moore, yep, with the hands of stone. I'm telling you, he. <laughs> Jason Kidd made him a lot of money. Oh, Jason he Kidd. did. Yes, in New Jersey, yes. he certainly did. Yes. I mean, yeah. I've always just thought that probably Joe Klein had the worst hands that we'd ever seen in Kingsland until until Mikey <laughs> showed up and bless his heart. I mean, you know, he tried hard and everything, but you're right. I mean, Jason Kidd just laid, you know, just gave him back baskets mm-hmm. at fifth, you know free throw line extended and he could make them if he could catch it, you know, one of those things. <laughs> that was, that was the old story about Klein, uh, Joe Klein, we traded him to Boston. I remember Bird calling me one day and saying, damn, I like Joe. He said, man, he drink beer all night. Good guy. He said, but he's got the worst hands in the world. He said, you got, you got any ideas how to, how to throw a pass to him? He can catch. I said, yeah, I'll throw it real hard right at his chest. He won't catch it, but he'll knock it down. It'll be in front of him, you know, just like a third baseman. That's, <laughs> and he's, he said, I don't know if I'll try that or not. He said, he's too good a guy. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, Jay, well, we're running over to you now for the, for the Reynolds wrap up for the episode. Well, there's two things. I just wanted a little shout out to Tim Maxwell. I thought he had a terrific article today about all the different things, you know, available to the Kings uh, in, in order to try to improve the team through the various things available, which uh, it's all pretty uh, minuscule, as it were. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, from reading, of course, reading all the stories and then the comments, I, I just had one thought. I, I, I happened to take this off of a Dr. Seuss saying, and I thought for for those of you who like to write comments about articles and things, then you kind of like get your feelings hurt. It's like, you know, here's, here's my advice. Be who you are, say what you feel, because those who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind. Beautiful. Of course, I, like I say, I, I guess the final advice I give is just to remember to be yourself, unless you suck and then try to change. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jerry, uh, is there any way we can get you to read a Dr. Seuss books for a Patreon exclusive? Hell yeah. Just get you to read five or 10 of like Pop on Pop and some of the other ones. There, there is nothing I won't do for King's Herald. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. We're going to get him to do some terrible stuff in the next two, two or three years. <laughs> Jerry, you just signed yourself up for a whole world of pain. <laughs> well, okay. For everyone uh, at, uh, at the King's Herald and on behalf of uh, Tony and Jerry, I want to thank you for uh, listening to another episode. Uh, if you find it in your heart to uh, to uh, like, rate, and subscribe, 
Uh, we'd appreciate it. It helps us uh, keep the lights on. So does uh, the Patreon. We'd like to thank all of our uh, Patreon subscribers as well. We'll have an episode for you uh, next episode. And uh, yeah, thanks so much, guys. And uh, hopefully on the other end of this, we'll be able to talk about uh, Kings as a back-to-back um, Summer League champions in Las Vegas. Just uh, line them up and bring them on. There you go. <laughs> All righty, everybody. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Yeah.